chatters on that and i'm kat and welcome to the crime chat i am your forensic femme fatale natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur we're just two normal girls who obsess about dark crimes evil minds and occasionally the unknown here's your disclaimer chatters the following crime chat contains adult content and descriptions of potentially violent and maybe poetic scenarios your listener discretion is advised you've been warned and before we get in today's crime chat kat what have you done well i have to show you a couple of things that i got for christmas santa husband oh okay (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if you can see it but it's called bloody america serial killer coloring book oh boy oh it looks like fun and a couple of these tabs okay tell me if this sounds familiar donald gaskins jr aka peewee mm-hmm. in arl coral the candy man rodney akala the dating game killer <laughs> oh my god <laughs> wait is he not ugly yes how the hell did he get so many women and i told you i watched that biography on him uh, i think it was on amc they did the uh, documentary on him after we did the crime chat mm-hmm. it was kind of it was kind of cool to watch that after. uh and then yeah. you see his picture in here and actually he's the very last one <laughs> oh he's so oh he's gross he's uh, like the epitome of creep but the um the little eight-year-old girl tally tally she was on there she was interviewed obviously as an adult now you know 40 50 years old or something yeah she was wow. interviewed on there oh, so check she, that out. yeah it was really cool and then i got this from my son my older son a little candle and mm-hmm. it says my last nerve oh look it's on fire that <laughs> 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 is classic is i'm like oh <gasps> Yeah, so it was it was good. That's cat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there, there it is. It's on fire. <laughs> Obviously, Christmas we have we're just kind of catching up now and stuff. Uh, chatters from from Christmas. So, how about you? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I didn't really get to celebrate Christmas this year. Although Christmas was good to me, I had COVID. No. Oh, I know. And I had COVID for so long. It's like I tested and then I tested positive again. And then you told told me you could test positive for like a month straight. Yeah, that's what I was told when I had it last summer. It has not been fun, but no. I got some fun stuff. For Christmas, Santa, aka boyfriend, is <laughs> very sweet to me. He got me something that I think that we should probably highlight in one of the stories. It's called the Serial Killer Cookbook, and it's the true crime trivia and disturbingly delicious last meals from Death Row's most famous killers and murderers. Look at that! Oh, so before they are like injected, they're, they shares their last mm-hmm. meal, and it's trivia. So. You got a trivia book yeah. too. I'm gonna need to test you on your trivia. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There are some recipes in here that I would totally do. Oh yeah. There are some things that I don't get, like combinations that are a little weird. But Ted Bundy, he ordered a seared steak, hash browns, toast, mm-hmm. and a fried egg. I remember for whatever reason that he had a, a steak. Mm. I don't rem- know why I remember that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I have. Um, so I've been watching a couple of things. I finished this documentary on HBO. I think it's either like five or six episodes. It's called Hostage and it's a documentary on the 1979 takeover of the embassy and how they had 52 Americans held hostage for 444 days. This, it is, the story behind it is freaking insane. It's like really politics and conspiracy and you know in the middle of all that Iraq invades Iran and I'm like, I think I need to do a crime chat on this. That would be good. It was it was a fantastic story in how Iran may or may not have influenced the re-election campaign of Jimmy Carter. Yeah. yeah. And when he went up against Ronald Reagan <gasps> and some of the things that were kind of behind that and maybe secret talks that Reagan's staff while he was in this campaign mm. to say – hey, can you hold off on releasing those hostages until after I take the presidency? Weird. Like, what? I don't put anything past anybody anymore. I really don't. Yeah. But I'm kind of in the middle of watching the new season of I Am a Killer on Netflix. Have you Mm -hmm. seen any of those? I didn't start watching them yet. So I'm picking up on this new season. I haven't seen any of the previous ones. Mm. But some of their stories are crazy. And I love how Netflix, they interview the convicted killer. Then they do other you know, interview some of the cops and some of the district attorneys, the defense attorneys, um, 
families of the victim or even families of of this convicted killer and then they go back and interview him again and give him what people said and see what the reaction is and it's so crazy how you can tell who's lying about what happened and who's not it's like crazy like there was one that was how do they tell if somebody's lying though what what do they do well not really they deny it i mean or they'll kind of laugh it off and say oh the cop was just there was one where the kid um it was supposed to be like a friendly fire incident where him and his buddy were out in the woods drinking and you know shooting guns kind of thing and then he took his buddy's gun it was like spinning it like billy the kid and it accidentally mm-hmm. shot him in the head but the the scientific trajectory and then the actually like the trigger the pressure on the trigger on how much pounds per square inch it takes where it's an intentional and not accidental i mean pulling the hammer back on this one revolver that was used the the pressure on it had to have been intentional pull it back into around the chamber like get one in the chamber so things like that and then the kid was just like oh the cop was probably just saying that was just giving you a show Mm. i'm like "Mm, yeah and there was one guy on there who was from my husband's hometown this had taken place probably when his mom was a kid but he was just like a a horrible person absolutely evil person what's his name his last name was black Mm -hmm. um like he even he so (laughs) he lied to the next netflix crew he was older now he's like in his 70s he had bruises underneath his mm-hmm. eyes and they asked him about it and he's like oh well um after i had a stroke the doctors put me on this medication that thins out my blood and i you know get bruises everywhere and okay. blah 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 so then they showed then they put up a clip and said documentation showed that black was in a fight with another inmate and that's where he received the two black eyes <laughs> Like, things like that, right? And it's just crazy how you have, and especially for some of them that have been incarcerated for so Mm -hmm. long, they have the story that goes on in their head. You know what I mean? Not just from what people are telling them, but when they're confronted with, like, their initial interrogation and the confessions, 30 years later, they're going, well, I lied then. It kind of thing. You know what I mean? But it's interesting. It's a really interesting take. And then there was a girl that was on there who was – the battered spouse syndrome Mm -hmm. she ended up killing her husband she was trying to get away from him they had just it was literally the day after the um no contact what's it um restraining order yes it was the day after the restraining order had expired he was in the house and that was an interesting one she got 10 years for that but she she got convicted and it wasn't just battered spouse more to it so yeah i recommend that one that one's pretty neat a lot of nerding out in documentaries (laughs) well netflix is like shelling them out at this point yeah well before we get into your little spooky ooky story for today um i've got a bit of an introduction kind of on the origin of horror and how that all kind of came about horror stories and just dark stories you know other people who were obsessed with it centuries before we were We're not the first, and we're not the last. We are not the first. (laughs) From Encyclopedia Britannica, it says that a horror story is a story in which the focus is on creating a feeling of fear. Such tales of ancient origin and form a substantial part of the body of folk literature. They can feature supernatural elements such as ghosts, witches, or vampires, or they can address a more realistic psychological fear, which... I mean, to be honest, you can give me, like, ghost witches, vampires, mm-hmm. and all that stuff, like, all day long. What The psychological ones, like, yeah. the screws with your head. Yeah. So I'm just like, ooh. <laughs> so the horror genre has ancient origins going back to around the 10th wow. century, with roots in folklore and religious traditions focusing on death, the afterlife, evil, the demonic, and the principle of the thing embodied inside of a person. In the year 1235, the Vatican issued an order to reestablish the orthodoxy of the faith in the historical inquisition that we've all probably heard about in the his- you know history books. Almost immediately, charges of heresy were inextricably tangled. That's a good word. <laughs> <laughs> Almost immediately, charges of heresy were inextricably tangled with allegations of witchcraft. The results obsession of witchcraft would endure all the way through the 17th century. And for years, works of horror would still be largely tied to religion. And these manifested in the stories of beings such as demons, witches, Mm -hmm. vampires, werewolves, and ghosts. The horror not... (laughs) I didn't say horror. I said horror. (laughs) The horror novel would take another dramatic turn 
In June of 1816, for three days, Lord Byron, Percy Shelley, Mary Wollenstonecraft Shelley, which probably mm-hmm. sounds familiar, Mary Shelley, and Dr. John Polidori shared a villa in Lake Chickingba, likely under the influence of some <laughs> laudanum. They decided to have a ghost story writing contest. The result? Mary Shelley originated the genre of science fiction with Frankenstein. Dr. Polori established the vampire subgenre with the uh, publication of The Vampire in New Monthly Magazine. And Dr. Dr. Polidori's work was originally attributed to Lord Byron, and the main character is indeed a Mm. caricature of him. Now, Mary Shelley's 1818 Frankenstein novel was greatly influenced also by a story of Hippolytus, whom Asclepius revives from death, and this is back in like Mm -hmm. ancient Greek times. Dracula can be traced to the Prince of Wallachia, Vlad III, whose alleged war crimes were published in German pamphlets. The alleged serial killer sprees of Gillis de Riaz have been seen in the inspiration for the Bluebeard, the motif of the vampress, and most notably derived from the real noblewoman murderess <gasps> Elizabeth Bathory, helped usher in the emergence of horror fiction into the 18th century. So that's like kind of some mm-hmm. of the stories that were being originated to kind of see see how it develops today so in western literature the literary cultivation of fear and curiosity for its own sake began to emerge in the 18th century pre-romantic era with the gothic novel the genre was invented by horace walpole whose whose castle of otranto 1765 may have been said to have founded the horror story as a legitimate literary form now in the romantic era storytellers raised the horror story to a level far beyond just mere entertainment through their skillful intermingling of reason madness eerie atmosphere and everyday reality they invested their specters doubles and haunted houses with psychological symbolism that gave their tales a haunting credibility horror during now the industrial age became a more visceral and gory kind of topic the penny blood or uh, Uh penny dreadful emerged as a cheap form of entertainment the penny blood or penny dreadful and i there did you ever see that series penny dreadful i love Eva good like i think she is one of the most beautiful women in the world and doesn't get enough credit yeah 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 i agree um this emerged as a cheap form of entertainment for mass audiences the stage equivalent was called penny gaff oh i didn't know that either ambrose beers published um can such things be in 1893 the collection of ghost stories that followed is gritty war stories, bringing ghosts into modern era, modern time frame. H.G. Wells would go a step further in 1898 with The War of the Worlds. Usually classified as a blend of science fiction and horror, it took horror into the future, presenting a whole new source of fear and anxiety for modern readers. Now, the turn of the century also saw the first experiments with a horror film, which tended uh, towards gruesome and fantastic in the same, you know, screen screen picture, whatever. The first true horror story movie was William N. Stieglitz's 16-minute adaptation of Stevenson's (gasps) Jekyll and Hyde. Really? I didn't know that. Okay. Wow. By this time, the short story had also replaced the novel, and... For most of the horror story writers, in, in the early 1900s, 1907, Algernon Blackwood published The Listener, and this contained uh, his most highly regarded short story called The Willows. Now, this is interesting. Blackwood was a member of the Order of the Golden Dawn, an occult society created by a gentleman uh, by the name of Samuel Lydell McGregor Mathers in 1888. The organization was home to many prominent writers, from Aleister Crowley to William Butler Yeats, Lord Dunsery, Arthur Matchin, Sax Romer. Members of this order were responsible for a majority of the weird and horror fiction produced in the United Kingdom at the time. So b- belonging to this cult, like all of these writers are part of this organization mm-hmm. and kind of this is where I guess the the mending of the minds kind of happened mm-hmm. and they came up with this kind of increasingly adaptation of horror and what it would look like and feel like and how it would instill this fear into the readers. And their work also marked the end of an era for horror, but soon after, the genre's popularity would fade. Still, Dennis Wheatley, who was a member, was a huge popular English writer between the 1930s and 1960s. He focused on the occult, so 
kind of on their own organization. And his thrillers served as some of the inspirations of Ian Fleming's James Bond series. And then James Hubert and Clive Barker also began to publish horror in Britain in the 1970s and 1980s. I just thought it was interesting how this like organization with all for, I don't know, like a hundred years had all of these great minds together and they were kind of feeding off of each other. I just thought that was super interesting. Yeah, it's like an old boys club, like a Freemasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very elite group of people, you know, to get in, you have to have some type of academic background. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now the Great Depression only enhanced now the American interest in the supernatural and the horrifying. A number of horror-themed radio shows sprung up, including The Shadow, which was in 1930, and then The Spider, which was in 1933. Both of them spawned off uh, successful spin-offs from the form of novellas and comic books. The very real horrors, that's kind of, say that fast three times <laughs> very real horrors of world war ii actually overshadowed some of the fictional ones that were coming out around these times you know if you're thinking like mid to late 40s through bradbury and a few other significant authors they continued to publish horror stories and science fiction but it wasn't until the 1950s that horror again kind of started to make its way back into popular culture right Richard Matheson's 1954 I Am Legend was the first modern vampire novel, and then Shirley Jackson's 1959 The House on Haunted Hill remained one of the most critically acclaimed genre novels in the past 60 years. Love that movie. Oh, you'll love this. So also in 1957 was another uh, seminal event in modern history of the horror genre itself. Ed Gein, a Wisconsin farmer, was arrested for the murder of Bernice Warden, when authorities searched Gein's home, they discovered the remains of at least 15 different women in small pieces. Uh-huh. Gein admitted to exhuming the bodies, committing acts of cannibalism, using uh, them as leather around his home. Nipple belts. And nipple belts. <laughs> nipple belts. <laughs> Lampshade. <laughs> so Gein's story actually shocked and fascinated the nation, and it would inspire Robert Bloch's Psycho in 1959. Yeah. It paved the way for works like Thomas Harris's Hannibal Lecter series, and the serial killer has since become an indispensable archetype for the genre itself. Yes. Undefining trait of the horror genre is that it provokes an emotional, psychological, or physical response with its readers that causes them to react in fear. One of H.P. Lovecraft's most famous quote about the genre is that, quote, the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear, and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown, huh. end quote true yes, right very true you can create something that you would never have thought of and instill that fear i mean yeah i mean that's why yeah. things do so well like that's why frankenstein did just so well it's just like unconscionable to think that somebody would do that like frankenstein where they're piecing somebody yeah. together yeah now in a sense of similar to the reason that a person seeks out a controlled thrill of like a roller coaster, yeah. readers in the modern era also seek out feelings of horror and terror to feel a sense of excitement. And there are many theories as to why people enjoy being scared. For example, people who like horror films are more likely to score highly for openness to experience, a personality trait that is often linked to intellect and imagination. We'd be smart, girl. We'd be smart. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just a little bit of kind of like history of like where the horror uh, genre came from and kind of how it's adapted over the centuries. Yeah, it's so cool. As far as like what gets me going and what freaks me out when I'm watching a movie, it's usually the psychological thriller. It's never like <laughs> Final Destination. That doesn't scare yeah. me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> give me a good Ed Gain. That yeah. will keep me up at night. Who would have thought he would have had a nipple belt? And a head in the pot. He had a head in the pot, <laughs> he had a curtain of skin, and he had a nipple belt. Man knew how to accessorize. Is it wasteful? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one, I apologize for my coughing and hacking and my nasally frange, best frange dresser that I can do. <laughs> That's okay. A couple uh, weeks ago, I had the frange dresser going on with yeah. my... Uh, flu recovery. Have well. you ever watched that? Did you have you ever watched The Nanny? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? I did. Mr. Sheffield. Yes. Oh my gosh. That was a perfect impression. <laughs> Love it. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it is what it is. <laughs> Thank you for that intro. That's leading us straight into our topic for today. Who is not a killer, actually? The more I studied no. him and did research on this story, the more I fell in love with this person. Do you go into his death? Hmm? I do. I watched BuzzFeed Unsolved mm -hmm. that 
had Ed, they and they did um, Shane and Ryan did Edgar Allan Poe, and I was like, that is fascinating. Yeah, was it cancer in his brain? There's a couple of theories that I go over at the end. Okay, but I I did see that Buzzfeed, and I think they did a great job. Oh, they did. Yeah. I love those two. So, are you a Shaniac or a Bulgarian? Okay, who is the guy to the right with the messed up hair and he's always like the cynical one. <laughs> Shane. Shane. I'm a Shane. I'm a Shane person. You're, sh- you're a Shaniac. Yeah. Okay. I, li- I like Ryan. I like- the other one's excitable. He gets excited. He's like, oh my god, look at this information. And the other one's like, really? Prove it. <laughs> I, I follow them. I, fo- I love them. I like, so they've done a couple of like spinoffs and they actually have their own production company now called Watcher. Really? And they do, yeah, and they do some shows. They just had Ghost Files, which is like a kind of a spin-off to their BuzzFeed Unsolved, so they're not associated with BuzzFeed anymore. Uh-huh. They have their own production company, but, oh yeah, totally follow them. We they're great. so need to write into them and be like, listen, guys, hang out, be a chatter. So, tag them in this episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I figured it would be really good to just start this episode with a quote. Take this kiss upon the brow. And in parting from you now, thus much let me avow. You are not wrong, Udine, that my days have been a dream. Yet if hope has flown away in a night or in a day, in a vision or in none, is it therefore the less gone? All that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. I stand amid the roar of a surf-tormented shore, and I hold within my hand grains of the golden sand. How few, yet how they creep through my fingers to the deep, while I weep, while I Oh God, can I not grasp them with a tighter clasp? Oh God, can I not save one from the pitiless wave? Is all that we see or see but a dream within a dream? All that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. Have you ever mm-hmm. heard that before? Sounds familiar, yeah. This quote is a verse from a poem, A Dream Within a Dream, written by Edgar Allan Poe on March 31st, 1894. It was published in the Flag of Our Union paper. Was that in Pennsylvania? This was all in, like, Baltimore. So most of his... Yeah, most of his success was Baltimore, (laughs) New York, and Philly. But that was kind of like his little stomping ground. So this poem dramatizes the confusion felt by the narrator as he watches important things in life slip away. Which I feel just like right there says it all about his entire existence. If I put it first. But there is an ending. So at the end of the story, I did also put an end quote by him. Which I feel just sums up his life a little bit. He was just so insightful. I just love him. So he brought us stories of self-destruction, revenge, violence, tales of premature burials, ghostly cats, the raven. He pushed us to the line between the living and the dead, a line that was never clear. We are going to take a deeper look into the life and works and the mysterious death of Edgar Allan Poe. Most people think of him as a complex figure, a non-traditional writer, tragic poet, an alcoholic, pale, sickly, an odd author who has an obsession with death. But mm-hmm. there's more to the man. He was also an athletic military man. Did you know that? I don't know if I remember that. Mm-hmm. Wait, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. He was a rebellious student, a ruthless reviewer, and he was the founding father of today's detective fiction. Edgar Poe was born in Boston on January 19th, 1809. What's today's date? 1230 his birthday's coming up (laughs) which makes him a Capricorn and on the cusp of Aquarius (laughs) (laughs) well this comes out on the 7th so we'll just say happy early birthday his parents David Poe Jr. was born in Baltimore on July 18th 1784 and his mother Elizabeth Arnold came to the United States from England in 1796 
and marry David in 1805 after her first husband died. They were both traveling actors. They also had three kids, William, Edgar, and Rosalie. Edgar's life had barely started when he suffered a double trauma. In early December 1811, his mother Elizabeth died of tuberculosis. His father... Oh, he was just a baby. He was only two. Little yeah, Bubala, yeah. he was only two. His father died within a few days after that from unknown illness, probably tuberculosis. Yeah as well. According to one account, David was performing with the Traveling Theater Company at the time when he passed away, but different accounts tell us that at the time of Elizabeth's death, the Poe family was really a broken one, and David had left the household, leaving his wife in destitute. Either way, poor Edgar was now an orphan at age two. There are accounts of Edgar sitting by his mother's deathbed till her last breath. It seems like he was very aware very early on. Six days later, Edgar was fostered by John Allen and Francis Allen of Richmond. His sister Rosalie, who was one years old at the time, was taken by the Mackenzie's family, and Henry, his older brother, who was four years old at the time, remained with his grandparents in Baltimore. John and Francis Allen were a childless couple. Although they never truly adopted or legally adopted Edgar, they considered him to be their own son. He called them Papa and Mama. John John was a wealthy merchant in the cigar industry. Frances was a loyal and loving wife and was described as being a deeply affectionate person. She doted on Edgar and loved having a child in the home. John, not so much. He wasn't very nice <laughs> to Edgar and he seemed to be resentful of the loving relationship between his wife and little Edgar. How sick. I mean, he's a little boy. He lost both his parents. Yeah. Sad. On January 7th, 1812, Edgar was baptized as Edgar Allan Poe. The family later moved to London where they lived from 1815 to 1820. During these years, the young Edgar learned to speak French and Latin. He was very smart. And yeah. like, we'll get into it a little bit. They returned to America in 1820. And by 1826, Edgar was accepted to the University of Virginia. He was 17 at the time. And it's funny because at this school, which is a large university today there was only like 117 students there yeah and there's a picture of the school of when like he went there like a drawing it's just like in the you could say it's, it's in like the construction part where like there you could see the towers going up but they had like this little like shack where the students stayed mm -hmm. Edgar did well in his studies he's very smart he started writing and you're gonna love this he would hold private poem readings in his room. He would invite friends who have the same interests and they would gather all together in his room and he would then turn off the lights and recite one of his dark stories. He also started painting on his walls, like drawing the characters from his story. Oh, cool. It was, everything was candlelit, just to give it an mm -hmm. ominous feeling. I would Oh, know. God, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so Edgar became the hit on campus. Everybody loved him. He was a popular student. The students and the faculty all knew about his talent and they were eager to see what was coming up next for him and what his bright future held. There were also accounts from the faculty stating that he had a photographic memory. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he was able to write something and then without reading it again, he was able just to recite it. Yeah. It must have yeah. been magical. He must have. I hate those people. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> shit. Is that a post-it? I can't remember shit it's either. It's unscrewed. <laughs> I have a case of the uh, CRS. Can't remember <laughs> shit. Just light your candle. I came down with a case of don't, the Don't, don't be asking me to remember shit. You're working on my last nerve. <laughs> Edgar was more than a brooding intellectual. He was also very active and athletic. In the summer of 1824, he became famous for swimming the seven miles of the James River during heavy tide, which in comparison, that's almost three times the swimming segment of an Ironman competition. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. And swimming is like a, t is, I mean, you think, oh, you know, go uh -uh. And, and swim, but a lot of people, like if you're going and swimming, especially in a high tide or where there's yeah. current, it's exhausting. Yeah, and they didn't have noodles back then. They didn't have pool noodles <laughs> or floaties. No. There's no swimmies. Nope. Swimmies. <laughs> Edgar hit a rock star level at this point. Apparently, you're going to love this fact, William mm -hmm. Burke followed him onto the boat in case he needed help after a race. That's right. William Burke, as in the Scottish serial killer who was convicted <gasps> of selling his fresh corpses to Robert Knox so he can conduct his uh -huh. autonomy lectures in 1828. Yeah. Wow. That's the same guy? Yes. Isn't that crazy? 
No, it's crazy. What people didn't know, although John Allen, his foster father, mm-hmm. was uber mm-hmm. wealthy, he only gave Edgar about a third of what he needed yeah. to survive his first year. So Yeah, I do remember that. Edgar yeah. was broke. Like, he gave him enough money to get to the school and then just left the kid hanging from that point. Make it on your That's own. terrible. Edgar was broke and he was barely surviving. Edgar started to drink heavily and gamble in hopes to raise some funds in order mm-hmm. to stay in school. This just sunk him into a debt with the wrong people he accumulated a debt about two thousand dollars which is more than fifty thousand today it's a lot of money to be in debt with somebody he asked john allen to help him out but he had no intentions to fill edgar's pockets with easy money this left a big rift between the two men during the winter semester of his first year he was hungry he was freezing and he resorted to burning his furniture, his actual, his bed frame and his desk in the yeah. fireplace to stay warm. I mean, yeah. it just it breaks my heart. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do, but... I, you know what it is? It's sad because here's Edgar Allan Poe. He's got it all. Your son has it all. He's intellectual, he's athletic, he's ambitious, he's motivated, and yet you make him struggle during a time where yeah. he needs to just kind of... Maybe he was jealous. Like, not just as a child you know and then seeing the closest and stuff with his with his wife and it's not his own child right that's exactly it there's some that just association with that relationship yeah because he was very resentful when his wife was so nice to this kid like he's two years old like yeah with all of this going on in Edgar's life, his childhood sweetheart and prospective fiance, Elmira, she dumped him for a wealthy businessman. And in 1827, Edgar needed to leave the university and decided to reunite with his older brother, Henry, in Baltimore. He arrived broke, he needed a job, he was drinking heavily, and he was depressed. In May, he enlisted in the U.S. Army under the name Edgar A. Perry. He changed his name because he didn't want the people that he owed money to finding him. Uh. <laughs> I mean, you could do that. Yes, you guy. could. You could just say, you know, this is my name. Yeah. Perry did well in the Army, and he reached the rank of Sergeant Major in Artillery Ooh. in less than two years. He was smart. Uh, he was motivated. Yeah, that's huge. Not only that, but he also found the time to write his first book while he was in the army. This was called The Tamerlane and Other Poems. It was published in the Bostonian in July 1827. The booklet sold about 50 copies. Mm -hmm. However, Kat, if you happen to come around one of these 50 copies today, it would be worth $172,000. Oh, yeah. Wow. And it's like a little pamphlet, just a couple of yeah. five pages. Yeah. On February 28th, 1829, Miss Allen died from a respiratory mm. illness, just like Edgar's biological mother. In the following years, Edgar's behavior became erratic and rebellious. John Allen tried to be friendly after his wife died, which I don't think, I mean, they depicted this like they were like, well, he, this was him being friendly, but I don't think this is him being friendly. I think this is him actually <laughs> nailing it like that final nail in the coffin he doesn't need to deal with edgar anymore what he did is he signed the application for him to attend west point academy as a cadet Mm -hmm. but he didn't send any money he's just like be gone be gone during this time he stayed with his aunt clem that's where henry lived and also Mm -hmm. his cousin virginia who he Mm -hmm. met for the first time let's put a little Mm -hmm. pin a little pin in that i i remember virginia (laughs) a little nugget He entered the academy in the summer of 1830, but he was doing his best to get kicked out. He (laughs) was court-martialed in February 1831 for gross neglect of duty. Edgar was struggling in every possible way, and his relationship with John Allen was not helping. Edgar found out that John had remarried very quickly to a Miss Louise Patterson. Edgar discovered that John had seven children out of wedlock. Edgar also found out that while... Miss Allen was in her deathbed. He was bringing women home around her, like totally disrespecting. In Mm. Edgar's mind, his mother. Like, you don't... You know, this left him brokenhearted. He loved her. She was the only person that really showed him love that he Mm -hmm. could remember. That was his mother. And his whole life, he was very sympathetic 
towards women. He adored women. Like, he almost, like, painted them in, like, this angelic vision when he would mm-hmm. talk about women in his life. John Allen, as you can see, is, like, the polar fucking opposite of that. Right. Edgar wrote a letter to John in which he claims that John Allen was seldom sober. Edgar wanted to leave West Point to pursue writing, but needed John's authorization for a voluntary discharge. Mm-hmm. It's almost like John mm-hmm. sent him there thinking, like, I know where you're going to be for the next four years, and you and I'm not going to help you get out. Yeah. Of course, he refused. Edgar started his self-sabotaging campaign. He succeeded and was kicked out of the army, but not before collecting donations from his fellow cadets to fund his next book of poems, which was simply titled Poems. The people that he went to the army with, his friends, they all were like, no, we believe in you. We believe in what yeah. you do, who you are and your talent, and they funded that. Mm. Isn't that crazy? That's cool. It's just sad because given another situation for Edgar, if he was with a family that really helped him pursue something, this his life could have been completely different. Mm-hmm. In the summer of 18. 1831, fate dealt another blow to Edgar. His brother Henry died of tuberculosis. Edgar's struggling writing career started in the early 1830s. He went to New York City where he had some of his poetry published. He started submitting stories to a bunch of different magazines and they were like all rejected. They just just didn't understand his Mm -hmm. dark, morbid storytelling. Mm -hmm. They didn't get Mm -hmm. it yet. Edgar had no friends, no job, and he was in financial trouble. John Allen died in 18 34 and did not mention Edgar in his will. The last time they saw each other was a couple of months before he died. Edgar actually went to see him after Henry mm-hmm. died and all John could do was sit across the room from him in a chair taking his cane, pointing at him, yelling stay away from me. Oh. Maybe he didn't understand him either, personality mm-hmm. or his obsession with like storytelling. Maybe he was just out of his yeah. league. In 1835, Edgar finally got a job as an editor of a newspaper after he won a contest for a story the manuscript found in a bottle. Edgar missed his family so much his aunt, Miss Clem, came to live with him. Mm-hmm. She also brought her daughter, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And in May 1836, Edgar married his first cousin, yep. Virginia. He was 27 and she was 13. Yep. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> but he, I mean, from, from what I remember, though, he absolutely loved her. Oh, they, yeah. They loved each other. She was mm-hmm. young. Yes, this is not legal. <laughs> but given the circumstances, given, given that it's 1836 and yep. women didn't have much of a choice, if you had to mm-hmm. marry somebody, he Mm -hmm. cherished her. I think there was accounts, but I didn't add it in here. There were accounts where like either Virginia said to Charles Dickinson, because Charles Dickinson at one Mm -hmm. point also knew Virginia. Edgar didn't force himself on her. Like there was no rush for anything. Given the time frame, she was in the best possible scenario Mm -hmm. a woman can be in, Mm -hmm. I think at that point at 13. Edgar became the editor of the Southern Literary Messenger. He was very successful and increased the circulation from 500 people to 3,500 people, which is a huge jump. However, Edgar left this job because it had poor, like a poor salary base. So, and he was also 27. So he was kind of like seeing Mm -hmm. the possibilities and where he can go. And he had these big expectations for himself. But it was more money than he had. (laughs) I'll be honest with you. He wasn't making the best life choices. (laughs) <laughs> decisions. He was led by his emotion maybe a little too much, but that is the whole yes. magic of him. So in 1837, Edgar went to New York City and Philly trying to sell his short stories with no real success. But finally, he got a break. His first volume of Tales of the Grotesque and Arabesque was published 1839. Do you know I've this? heard of it, yeah. Chatter's Cat on YouTube. There is a mm-hmm. audiobook. I played mm-hmm. it before, and it's just like an automated voice reading yeah. the story. And I, it's eight hours long, and I just got through like maybe the prologue, and I couldn't believe how insightful <laughs> it was. He was talking about himself and how people perceived mm-hmm. him. He was just so ahead of his time, and people were always, they didn't yeah. understand him. So this was a hit, but Edgar was only paid with the copyright mm-hmm. and 20 copies of the book, no money. So he just got the copyright of and a book. Copies. It was a hit, but it it wasn't a hit that could really, yeah. you know, and 20 copies, that's it, that he had to sell. In 1840, Edgar joined George R. Graham as in the editor of the Graham's Magazine. Do you know, who, you know what this is? So this is a really popular magazine that was popular uh-huh. in the UK and also Baltimore, but and Philly. It was like, I want to say it reminds reminded me of when I was reading because it's not out anymore but like I was reading what it was about and it reminded me of the Village Voice. Do you remember the Village Voice? No. In the in New York there was this urban newspaper
paper that only circulated around okay. the city and it was written by the real like local sure. journalists okay. boots on the ground right. type of people so this was kind okay. of like the same okay. concept so George R. Graham and Edgar worked together for two years and they published his first detective story, The Murders in the Rue Morgue. This challenged readers to send in mm -hmm. cryptograms, which Edgar always mm -hmm. solved. A cryptogram is like a text yeah. puzzle where like the letters could be replaced by other letters and yeah. numbers and I stuff like that. I Is that the same thing from uh, A Christmas Story with the ring, the decoder? No, that's a decoder. I'm thinking the decoder ring. <laughs> was the coolest thing. The murders in the rumor paved the way for Sherlock Holmes mm -hmm. and Nancy Drew. Mm -hmm. During this time, he also wrote other stories such as The Raven. Mm -hmm. While at the Graham, Edgar was able to grow the magazine from 535,000 readers. Yeah, no, he was successful when he, like, applied himself. He was a home run. Mm -hmm. In 1842, he left his job to start his own company. He tried to start a magazine called The Stylist and failed. He was back to struggling. He continued to write short stories and he won yet another contest mm -hmm. for uh, the poem The Gold Bug. This story would sell 300,000 copies but he would still be struggling. Was he gambling? He wasn't good with life choices. <laughs> like he was drinking. He was spending. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, like a Virginia never had a want for anything mm -hmm. but he wasn't budgeting himself. Mm -hmm. He was just kind of, you know, artists do that. Mm -hmm. They, they kind of like just go with the flow. Andy Warhol comes to mind. Yeah, yeah they just go with the flow. <laughs> Edgar needed to move his family to a small co small cottage because he just could not afford Philly living anymore or anywhere sure. near a city. Virginia unfortunately fell ill and in 1847 she died 10 days after his birthday. His beloved Virginia was gone. He was broken yet again. Uh, Edgar slipped into his depression and alcoholism. He would continue to be a freelance writer and sell his literary works, creating more short mm -hmm. stories and then selling them to magazines, but he really never became something in his mm -hmm. in his life. Mm -hmm. So in June 1849, Edgar embarked on a speaking tour to raise funds for a literary magazine Hope to Publish. On September 27th, 1849, Poe was supposed to be boarding a ferry from Richmond, Virginia to Baltimore and then to New York. The night mm -hmm. before the ferry trip, he visited a doctor in Richmond for a fever. The next few days, it, there's very, there's little known about the next few days. It's, it's just mm -hmm. a Poe arrived in Baltimore on September 28th, but he did not go to New York. He turned up in a tavern in Baltimore on October mm -hmm. 3rd. Mm -hmm. He was in bad shape. He was nearly unresponsive and what onlookers assumed to be just another drunk night for mm -hmm. Edgar. A note was sent to the local doctor and Poe was soon admitted to the hospital. One odd detail is that the clothes that Poe had on did not mm -hmm. appear to be his own. Mm -hmm. Instead of his usual black wool suit he was wearing uh, like a cheap ill-fitted suit and a straw hat in the hospital Poe continued to drift in and out of consciousness hallucinating and speaking nonsense on October 7th he died a Baltimore newspaper reported that cause had been congestion of the brain we don't have that anymore what is congestion of the brain I have that every day <laughs> Congestion of the brain. What is that? Um, a blockage in your brain. Like, I'm thinking like congested. When you're congested, there's like, it's inflamed and there's not a whole lot of airflow. Maybe like a sinus infection? They congested, but in the brain. Maybe an infection. <laughs> an infection. I don't know. Several theories about Poe's death have emerged. The most mm -hmm. predominant is that he died from complications of alcoholism, of course. The doctor who saw Poe in the tavern believed that Poe had been drinking heavily and that he ultimately succumbed to the tremors and delirium that can come with alcohol withdrawal. Drink heavily regularly, you know, like on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely can give you withdrawals. Yeah. A number of secondhand accounts seem to support this, saying that Poe had encountered acquaintances in Baltimore and gone on like this drinking bender. So people saw him in the neighborhood and they were like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. he's at it again. This would not be entirely out of his character. As I said, like people saw him, they were like, oh yeah, he's doing his normal Poe thing. John Moran, the attending physician at the hospital, was convinced that Edgar was not drunk and hadn't been drinking in days leading up to 
to his death. And the oh. fact that he seemed to recover slightly in the hospital before worsening and then dying also seemed to be inconsistent with alcohol withdrawal. This is true. A number of diseases have been proposed as possible causes of death, including diabetes, heart disease, epilepsy, and tuberculosis. One of the most intriguing possibilities, however, Cap, suggested by the doctor at the University of Maryland, is that Edgar may have died from rabies. Think about it. Sure. So Edgar's yeah. delirium seemed to get better and then worsen last days of his life, a pattern that is observed in patients with late-stage rabies. Furthermore, Poe's hospital records indicated that Poe had difficulty drinking water. This may have been a manifestation of one of characteristic symptoms, which is fear of water. I didn't know that there's fear. Yeah. Aquaphobia? <laughs> I don't know if that's the actual term. <laughs> Another theory holds that Poe may have been the victim of a violent crime. Because the tavern where Poe was found was used to be a polling place, common practice back in the 19th century for voting to take place in a drinking yep. establishment, which I think should be yep. totally, you know, we should do it again today. It had been proposed that he may have been caught up in an unusual form of electoral fraud known as cooping. In a cooping scheme, gangs working with a corrupt politician would grab unwilling bystanders off the street and force them to vote repeatedly for a certain yep. candidate. Victim were often beaten or forced to drink alcohol in order to make them comply. Disguises were used uh, to allow the victim to vote multiple times. This could explain the bizarre outfit that yeah. he was found wearing when he was discovered. Yep. So uh, that is plausible too. I think that is rabies yeah. and this one, I you know, I don't know. It's hard to imagine that there will ever be a satisfying answer to what killed him. Mm -hmm. yeah. What were Edgar Allan Poe's last five words? Moran, the doctor, replied reported that his final words were, Lord, help my poor soul for dying October 7th, 1849. We will end the story with another uh, timeless quote that I feel is fitting. Quote, I became insane with long intervals of horrible sanity. Edgar Allan Poe, 1845. However, another note, in 1807, the University of Virginia, the board, created the Raven Society. The society mm -hmm. preserves the upkeep of Poe's old room, which is 13... Oh. It's called 13 West Range. In 1933, the society began uh, presenting the Raven Award, which recognizes students, professors, administrators, and alumni for their scholarly pursuits and their dedication to yep. the university. Yep. The Raven Society also sponsors fellowships and, and has a scholarship program, which is pretty amazing. And uh, it is the inspiration for... Nevermore Academy. <laughs> Which is a show on Netflix, isn't it? <laughs> on Wednesday. It's Wednesday. Oh, that's, that's right. The that's that right. She goes that's to. right. Yeah, and there's a statue of Edgar Allan Poe in, you know, in the Academy and, and everything. And at one at one of the episodes, she, like, looks up to him and, like, starts talking to him. And that's where I had the click going, ah, yep. Nevermore. So how do you, what do you think about his life? And I mean, I, I. There's some things that you mentioned that I hadn't heard before, but I kind of had a, a good gist of his life. Yeah. And it's very, it's understandable how he kind of became to be attracted to dark and different things yeah. just by his kind of experiences and how he was treated, the things that happened. I mean, Virginia had died very, very young. Yeah. Um, but uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, I mean, the diseases were rampant. So, yeah. you know, with very little means of controlling it, you kind of did one of those, put a blanket over them and, and dab them on the forehead with a wet washcloth. Make and, them sweat. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, like, so they went back to, and this was on the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode, that they went back and, like, it, it somehow either extracted his, his skull mm -hmm. and there was, like, a little peanut calcified substance that was found in his brain that, that's why i asked you like about the cancer because it was like a calcified but it wasn't cancer it was really weird how and that could have been another cause what? of his death it, could it have been yeah, a bar some, peanut <laughs> somebody shoved it up his nose up well, there I mean, there that didn't come up as one of like the main possibilities or like the theories that people are Sure. obsessed with but that yeah i gotta look that up there's yeah it's something like he i don't know if it was during his autopsy or somewhere where it, i want to say they 
re-examine it later mm-hmm. because there was no brain left. Yeah. The only thing that was inside of his skull was this calcification of some sort of white substance that what was right. it? They couldn't I don't know figure that, it out. That they ever, I don't remember. I gotta look that up. But that was, you know, that's you know, potentially another theory too. And I mean, in a lot of times people we say died of illness back then and we didn't, you know, it might have been cancer. We, we had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. But I believe um, the cooping is very plausible yeah. too because he was in different clothing and then it, by the fact that he was just so delirious whether it was withdrawal symptoms from alcohol or maybe he was taking the lucidogens at the same time mm-hmm. with alcohol that just had the hallucinations and, and everything yeah. but uh, phenomenal and I think if he were to like realize uh, his level and success that we, how we view him today yeah. I think he I don't know he he would probably be very proud of that yeah of and and a lot of people evermore evermore he didn't have any children so all of his right. like lineage and family tree our cousin relatives like that what about his sister Rosalie did she die early or was there anything else not much heard of from Rosalie or- Henry died R- Rosalie was old when she died I don't know exactly her age but I do have a picture of her and she so I'm thinking that most of most of the oh. family tree came from her oh, and extended family because remember there was Aunt Lem but other like Charles Dickinson did support family after his death like he would make sure that if the, if the aunts mm-hmm. or the cousins needed anything because he, he was really respected we just he wasn't he wasn't um, what he is today until after his death struggling his entire life just sad that nobody really appreciated him people who did appreciate him were part of his world but the people outside of his world just didn't understand how brilliant that right. man was yeah no absolutely great story I'm so glad you did that one you clarified a lot of things too that I hadn't heard before uh, and yeah. I think it's really super cool that they have the Raven Society and there's still yeah. you know things kind of hanging around in all of his works and yeah. I want a copy of The Golden Bug The Golden Bug and uh, what do you mean a copy? I want a copy of oh, it oh you mean no that's the first one that came out and that was like, the oh that's uh, not the one that's worth a hundred and some thousand dollars <laughs> chatters I'm scrolling up that's right Something of poems. Yeah, that was his first one. Yeah. Oh, Tamerlane, another poem. But I'm sure that if you have and an original copy or poem. pamphlet of any of his work, you would do a killing on eBay. Oh, sure. But now in love with Edgar Allan Poe. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. How much of his works did you read while you were doing I researched it? his, like, he had, there's a documentary. I researched his, like, the biography. I did read The Raven, and there was also on, once again, on YouTube, there is a channel dedicated to him, and it's just his poems, and it's just an audio book, and they read his poem. Oh, cool. Um, but... He actually has like this chart that's of cool. how to write stories, so that's why he was so successful in the detective fiction because he was able to. There was like a formula, so there's a formula to writing a dark story, that's and you. he mastered it, and that's how he started writing his detective fiction. Cause we don't want to leave you hanging, chatters. For more information on this case, please check out after that crime chat you're gonna see everything on the patreon all the pictures a list of his stories a place you can find all of his stories and listen to right. um glass of wine handle it and scare the shit out of you <laughs> scary <laughs> <laughs> dim the candle down a don't forget to follow us chatters follow crime chat with nat and cat on facebook instagram youtube and twitter tiktok to see what we have coming up next also our website has everything listed our socials our episodes and everything at crimechatwithnatandcat.com yes and remember crime chat with nat and cat subscribe to our patreon for those bonus episodes the behind the scenes the bloopers and check out merch in the works and be sure to check out our next episode it is going to be our first Crime and Cosmetics is Season 2. <laughs> you don't want to miss it. No freaking way. No way. We will see you next time, Chatters, on the next Crime.